Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles, please, please do so to Psalm 24. And it's been said that if you want to understand the beliefs of a society or of a culture, look at its art. If you want to understand what a society believes about what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is beautiful, what, what, what a society believes about meaning and purpose and virtue and vice, look at its art. Look at the stories it tells and the poems that it proclaims. Look at the music that it sings. Look at the, the painting and the art that it will behold and gaze at in wonder. And then for our society in particular, look at the TV shows and the movies that we produce and that we consume. And so if you want to know what our society thinks about God, you have to look no further than the TV shows and the movies that our society produces. And so, for example, you can learn what we believe about, as a culture, believe about God from the movie Bruce Almighty, which presents God, as played by Morgan Freeman, as a wise old man out to teach humanity that instead of passively looking up to him, we should be, take initiative because we have the power to change the world. Or the recent CBS TV show, God Friended Me, where God is portrayed as communicating through a mysterious Facebook account that encourages the main character to go out and help people in need. I mean, if that isn't our culture, God on Facebook, I don't know what is. <laughs> and now, these examples are largely positive portrayals. And if you look around, you can see plenty of negative portrayals of God in our society as well. However, these two examples actually track very closely with the professed and stated belief about God in our society. As sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Denton have noted, the prevailing view of God in our culture is something that they term moral therapeutic deism. It's deism in the sense that God, the belief that God watches over human life, though he's not particularly involved, but he will step in to give us an assist from time to time. That, that's deism. It's moral in the sense that God wants us to be good people, wants us to treat each other kindly and fairly and justly. And it's also therapeutic because it's the belief that God above all wants us to be happy. And his purpose is to help us to be happy. This is the prevailing view of God in our culture, and you can see this all over the place in the movies and the TV shows that we produce. In other words, most people see God as Morgan Freeman. And look, this view of God isn't restricted to one particular view or one, one religious group. It isn't even really restricted to those who would say, I'm spiritual but not religious. This cuts across all religious beliefs, even Christianity. And so let me ask you, does moral therapeutic deism describe what you believe about God? Do you believe that God is more or less a benevolent person who, who largely keeps to himself but, but steps in when you need help? And that his purpose is to, to help you find happiness? Is that how you view God? Uh, let me ask this. Is that who you want God to be? Is that how you would hope he would be? 
Maybe not. Maybe you want something else. And so, so let me ask, who do you want God to be? Well, what do you hope he is like? Just take a second. Got a picture in your mind. Kind of, kind of identify. Now, how good is that God that you want? How, how glorious? How, how powerful? Here's what I, I don't know exactly how you answer that question or how you would, and, and I, I'm sure that there's various answers in the room, but here's what I do know. I don't know how you answer that question, but here's what I do know. That whatever our conception of God is, whatever it is that we would say we want God to be, is far less glorious, far less powerful, far less loving, far less kind, far less good, far less holy than the God who truly is, the God who is proclaimed in Scripture. You see, the God who is is far greater than the God we often want. The, message, or the title of my, my sermon this morning is this, The God You Need is Greater Than the God You Want. The God you need is greater than the God you want. The God you and I need, the God proclaimed to us in Psalm 24, is not just some benevolent person who largely keeps to himself, but steps in when we need some help and and helps us accomplish our dreams and so we can be happy. That's not the God of Psalm 24. The the, the God of Psalm 24 is far greater than that. Far greater. And here's the main points of Psalm 24 and the main point for us this morning, that this God is a God who is a holy king who redeems his people. The God that you and I need, far greater than the God that we want, is a holy king who redeems his people. And this is good news for us. Because this is who God is, there is great hope for us. And so what I want to do is, I I basically just want to walk through this statement, God is a holy king who redeems his people, and show how Psalm 24 proclaims this to us, and how this is good news for us. And so David first proclaims God as king in Psalm 24. He writes in verse 1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. All things, according to Psalm 24, belong to the Lord. The entirety of the earth, all land and oceans and rivers and plants and insects and animals and humans, down to the very little dust particles and molecules and atoms, all of that belongs to the Lord. He owns it all. And as he is the owner, he is the king. Because ownership indicates authority. I think we recognize this. Ownership indicates authority. If you own something, you have authority over it. I mean, even people who who don't believe that we should own anything, who don't believe we should own property or own wealth, recognize this principle. Because those people who would make that argument, here's where that argument stops. Your body. Right, right? Even those who would say you shouldn't own property or wealth would say, hey, I do own my body, and because I own my body, I have authority over it. Ownership indicates authority. And what is the basis for the Lord's ownership and authority over the earth and everything in it? Well, as verse 2 tells us, because he made it. For, for he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Like those who create something own it and have authority over it, right? We recognize this. This is why we have a patent office 
to pr- protect property rights and ownership rights, that if you make something, you claim ownership and authority over it. Well, according to Psalm 24, God has the patent on all of this. He has the patent on earth and everything in it. He created and he owned it. Verse 2 uses this poetic language and describes God as this master creator. God has formed, he's created all matter that exists. And he's formed that matter. And then he takes that matter and he sets it in place and creates the earth and everything in it, establishing its foundation, setting it in place, putting into process all of the physics and the laws that that you and I experience as those who live on the earth. God is the one who has established the earth in all its strength and its beauty. It exists and it stands because of the Lord. He owns it all. He made it all. He is the king. Who do you want God to be? Who do you want God to be? Because here's the thing. I think we're all okay with this idea of God as creator. Now, we may disagree somewhat about how he created. Some of us are literal six days. Some of us may see evolution somehow in that process. So, you know, we may disagree, but we're all at the end of the day saying, hey, yeah, cool, I'm cool, God as creator. We're less cool with God as king. We have a hard time sometimes associating and recognizing because God is creator, he is also king. We sometimes don't want to acknowledge that. Why? Because we want to be king. Is this not true? We don't want to acknowledge that God is the king as creator because we want to be king. We want to sit on the throne. This is, is this not our culture? The expressive individualism in our culture that says, I control my life. I define my identity. I live my own truth. I and I alone own me. Self is on the throne, not God. You know, God is cool as long as he's there to kind of step in and help me help me accomplish my goals and my dreams, as long as he's for my happiness and letting me do as I want, then then great, God and I are cool. But what if God is king? If self is not on the throne and God is on the throne, if God is the king, well, then that means I don't get to define my identity. I don't get to define my meaning and purpose. I don't get to define how I live my life and how I spend my time and what I do with my resources and and how I think about meaning and purpose. Now I have to submit to someone greater than myself. (laughs) Psalm 24 confronts us with this reality. God is the king and the creator to point at us and say, hey, guess what? Who's not on the throne? You're not on the throne. (laughs) Who do you want God to be? Is God the king Do you want God to be the king? Do do you want a God who is just a guide and a helper, but not a king? And if that's the case, let me ask you this. Lots of questions for us this morning. Is that God worthy of worship? Like, is that God worthy of all honor and glory? Is that a God worth serving and praying to? Like, I wonder, the God that you want, is he the God who can split mountains with his voice? Is he the God whose very presence sets mountains on fire? Is he the God who commands seas and says, you can go only this far but no further? 
Is he the God who commands the morning and tells the dawn where to go? Is the God that you want the God who commands clouds and brings floods? The one who says, lightning bolts, stand at attention, and they say, here we are, where do we go? Is the God that you want a God worthy of worship? Is he, does he bring a sense of awe and reverence? The sense of, I am so small and he is so big. I am little and puny and he is great and marvelous. Is that the God that you want? Look, if the God we want is not king, if he leaves us on the throne, just trying to, us be, just trying to help us to be happy, is that all who God is? Then he isn't worthy of our worship. He isn't worthy of our worship. That, that God is not great. And what's more, if we're on the throne, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> we are in trouble because our power is not great enough to fix what's broken in us and in our world. <laughs> like, friends, our power is so limited. The identities that we construct are so fragile and frail. Why do we run from success to wealth to relationship to relationship trying to figure out who we are? Our identities are so frail when we're on the throne. The joy we chase when we're on the throne is so fleeting. And the hope that we grab for is so unstable. Friends, if we're on the throne, if God is not great, if God is not king, we're in trouble. The God you need is greater than the God you want. Because the God you need is a king. He is a king and he rules and reigns over everything. He is strong and mighty. That is the God you need. That is the God Psalm 24 declares to us. The God we need, though, is not just a king, but he's a holy king. He's a holy king. And so after lifting our gaze to the king, David asks in verse 3, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who can be near this king? Well, let's say we, we say, all right, I want to follow this king. Who, who, who can be in this king's presence? Who, who can dwell with him? Who can be near him? Who, who can be in his holy place? This is saying who can get up close and personal with God? And so scripture teaches that God is holy and his holiness refers to his set-apartness, the fact that God is different, that he's other. He isn't common. God is special and distinct. He's far, far above us in power, in glory, in majesty, in wisdom. Holiness also carries with it this sense of moral purity and righteousness. God is one who is just and righteous, so who can be near God? Who can be near this holy God? Well, verse 4 tells us the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. To be near the holy king, one must be holy. For a holy king cannot admit near him that which is unholy. Because here's what we recognize. Who you let closest to you is a reflection of who you are. Who's nearest to you, to allow someone to be near to you is to accept and welcome them. It reflects what you value. It reflects your character. And so if your closest friends, if the people closest to you are lying cheats who harm others, what does that say about you? 
If a president or a political leader's closest advisors are deceitful and immoral men and women, what does it say about the leader but that they lack character? So who can be near the Lord, this great holy king? Well, those who are holy, those who are pure in heart, those who have hearts full of goodness and righteousness and purity, those who haven't committed sin or harmed others, those who haven't lied and cheated and been deceitful. David is driving this point home. He's saying, you know, you can tell a lot about a king by who's nearest to him. And so he's emphasizing the type of people who can be near the king to make a point about the king. This king is holy. This king is holy. Evil, wicked, deceitful people cannot be in his presence because they violate his character. They have no business being in his presence. Those who can be near, though, are those who are holy and pure and good and honest. Those people dwell near this holy king. Now, talking about the holiness of God sometimes can, can, can conjure images of people screaming about judgment, right? That the people who like to talk about holiness of God are those that we think of like maybe standing on a street corner holding up a sign about all the people God's going to judge or posting a meme on social media condemning all the people. And so when people start, when, when you hear a pastor or others start talking about the holiness of God, you, maybe you get a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, man, when that conversation comes up, people get self-righteous real quick. Maybe you've experienced that. And so you don't want to be like that. And so what you end up doing is you turn down the volume on God's holiness. How often do we do this? <laughs> How often do we shy away from the truth that God is a holy king because we don't want to come across as self-righteous? But friends, who do you want God to be? What kind of king do you want? Do you want one who is good and just, one who hates evil and loves what is good and what is just? Do you want one who actually cares about what's happening in Afghanistan? who actually cares about the injustice and immorality in our culture and what's happening in the world, who actually cares about the immoral immorality and abuse that happens in the church? Do we, want not, do we not want a God who cares about evil, who sees it and isn't indifferent to it? Do we not want a God who is actually holy? See, I think too often we say we want a God who's holy, but we only want a God who is holy enough not to exclude us, not to put us on the wrong side of the equation, right? As long as I'm included with those who can be near the Lord, then God can be as holy as he wants, but, uh, you know, don't be too holy. You see, if God is there to just sort of encourage us to be good and to be fair and to be honest, to, to, to kind of point out, hey, this is, this is the way to treat people, we're cool with that, but if he also is pointing to the reality that our hearts in and of themselves are dark, selfish, sinful breeding grounds for idols, well, then we don't want that. Don't be that holy, God. But if that's our view of God's holiness, we don't have a holy God. We have a God we've created in our own image. A God that we have fashioned after our own likeness. And friends, if that is the God that, that we want we're in trouble. <laughs> we are in trouble because that God is not holy enough to deal with the evil in our world. That God will be like us, 
minimizing evil on the one hand or bringing half measures to deal with it, all the while evil and sin and suffering are oppressing and ruining and wrecking this world. The God that you and I too often want isn't holy enough to deal with the evil in our worlds. But the God we need, the God we need, the God proclaimed to us in Psalm 24 is greater The God we need is a holy king, perfectly good and righteous and just. A holy king who's not indifferent to the evil in the world, who doesn't just look at the wickedness and the deceit and injustice and shrugs his shoulders. No, he goes, that violates my character. That violates the goodness that that I am. The ruin and the wreckage of my good creation will not go unpunished. The God you and I need, the holy king, deals with evil. He's not indifferent. No, he marshals his power and his strength and his goodness and his holiness to deal with the evil. Far greater than the God we want is the God we need. And so the God we need is a king, and not just a king, but a holy king, and not just a holy king sort of distant and separated from us, but a God, but a holy king who actually redeems his people. You know, one of the things that moral therapeutic deism does, it holds a mirror up to us. It helps us see really what's sort of inside our hearts. And and it reveals in many ways that what we want is just a God who's going to help us be happy. Yeah, yeah, sometimes we need help. We need an assist from that God. But that assist should come as a way to help us fulfill our dreams and achieve happiness. And here's what that want reveals about our, our view of the problem. We, we see the problem, and, and no matter what our problems are, largely through the lens of, hey, I can fix this. Yeah, my problems might be, might be big, but ultimately, with a little help, I can do this. No matter what my problems are, it's nothing that a little more happiness and self-fulfillment can't fix. But what if, what if our problem is far, far greater What if our world is impossibly broken? What if we are impossibly broken? What if there is nothing we can do for all of our education, all our technology, our philosophy, all our politics? There is nothing we can do to fix what's broken in the world and what's broken in us. What if the problem is so great that it's outside of our ability? What if the evil and the sin and the suffering and the death that relentlessly bear down on us are impossible to overcome in our own strength? What if what we want cannot fix what's broken? Praise God that what we need, the God we need, is far greater than the God we want. Praise God that the God we need is greater than the God we want because this is good news for us because the God that we need actually redeems his people. He is a holy king who steps in and redeems his people. David writes in verses five and six, the one who inquires after the Lord and seeks his face will receive blessing and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, God isn't there just to offer an assist and encouragement. He's a God of salvation. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. 
This is the good news of the gospel for us. And how does he do this? By exercising his kingly power. Here's what David proclaims in verses 7 and 8. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. David gets so excited, he repeats this refrain, says it again. What has David so worked up? Why is he so excited that he he sings this once and then sings it again? Because there is a king who has won a great victory for his people. There's a king who has gone to war for his people and won. You see the imagery here in verses 7 and 8 and then 9 and 10? It's city gates and and the doors of the gates opening up to receive a king who's returning from battle, returning victoriously. And and the people of the city knew that when our king comes in victorious, that means that we've been rescued, we've been redeemed, our our enemies have been defeated. And so let's celebrate, let's throw open the gates, let's party, let's rejoice, let's worship because our king has won. And so David declares, city gates, Lift up your head, open up, get those doors open. Why? Because there's a king, a victorious king that's coming in. And who is this king? Who is David celebrating? A human king? A a political leader that you and I so often get excited about? Is he celebrating just a God who's like a nice old man who gives encouragement and a little assist when we need it? No, (laughs) he is celebrating the Lord, the Lord who is mighty in battle, strong, the holy king, the one who has gone to war against evil and sin and suffering and won, the one who rescues and redeems his people, the one who will take all that is ruined and wrecked and destroyed and restore and renew. David is celebrating the holy king, the Lord, mighty in battle, Friends, the God we need is so much greater than the God we want because he's a holy king who redeems his people. And do you know this? This is, this is amazing. Do you know that when God most flexes his glory, it's in service of redeeming his people? <laughs> like when you look through the pages of scripture and God puts his glory most on display, what happens? Redemption. The great plagues in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, overthrowing nation after nation. You name it, we could go through story after story after story, example after example after example. God flexes his glory and his people get redeemed. And this is most evident, this is most clearly displayed in God's greatest demonstration of his glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. (laughs) You see, Jesus Christ is the creator king. He's the one, as Colossians 1.16 tells us, through whom all things were made. Through him, by him, for him. He is the creator king. Jesus is also the holy king. Spotless, without sin. Perfectly obeying his father. Perfectly obeying God. The one who is pure in heart. The one whose hands are perfectly clean, who loved and served. The one who has never lied or spoken a word of deception because he is truth itself. Jesus is the holy king. And Jesus is also the king who has come to redeem his people. He has stepped into our sin-cursed, broken world to wage war on the devil, 
and on evil and on sin and on death itself. And Jesus puts his glory most on display in the most counterintuitive way possible. You see, when we think about displays of glory, we think about blinding greatness, unmitigated victory in power. But as Jesus says in John 12, his greatest display of glory would be in the place we would least look for it. Him hanging, beaten, bloody, humiliated, and killed on a cross. But friends, on the cross... Jesus became sin to defeat sin. On the cross, Jesus gave himself over to evil rulers and powers to defeat evil rulers and powers. Jesus was struck down by death to defeat death. The God you want, the God that I want, would never be that loving. Would never display his glory that way. And in his resurrection, Jesus rises victorious over sin, over evil, over death, over hell. The victorious king who went to war for his people and redeemed his people. Friends, the God that we need is greater than the God that we want. Jesus brings salvation. And that salvation is not just happy, good feels. No, it is a salvation that brings blessing, life, joy, peace, love, and hope that one day he's going to return and put an end to all evil, sin, and suffering. And the salvation Jesus brings also brings righteousness, people guilty of sin forgiven, those enslaved to sin set free, people who once were impure of heart made pure of heart, those whose hands were stained with sin washed clean, those who were, who were false and deceitful made true and good. This is the salvation that Jesus brings. Who is the king of glory? Who is the holy king, strong and mighty in battle? Who defeats evil? Who redeems his people from sin and rescues them from their enemies? Who restores what is broken, wrecked, and ruined? Jesus Christ, the king of glory, the God we need, the God that is far greater than anything we could want. Friends, the God we need, the God we need, thankfully, praise his name, is greater than the God we want, the, the one that you and I too often chase after. And so here's the question for us this morning. Are you seeking that God that you need? As Psalm 24 calls us to, are you putting your hope, do you inquire after him? Are you dwelling with that God? Because only those who are holy can dwell with him. Only those who are holy can be near him. And if you and I are honest, we got to admit we're not. We're not. We are impure of heart. We are full of deceit. Our hands are stained with sin. We have no business being near God. But this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the victory and salvation he has brought. That through Jesus Christ, by turning from your sin, turning from that God that we want, turning from a view of God that is just the old man who is kind and kind of gives us help and encouragement and turning to the God, the glorious holy king who is, turning from our sin, putting our faith in Jesus, we're made holy. 
The, the stains of our sin are washed away. The righteousness that you and I need is given to us, the righteousness of Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. You can dwell near this God. You can be his son and his daughter. You can know him and be near him. He welcomes you through Jesus Christ. If you have never turned to this God, if you've never put your faith in Christ, let me tell you, this morning you can do that. Even this morning you can know his salvation. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, let us not go back to that small view of God that we were rescued out of. Let's not let our culture shape our view of God. Let's not settle for a small God who's just kind of hanging in the background and shooting little words of wisdom on a fortune cookie. No, let's go after the holy king who welcomes us through Jesus Christ, who is our redeemer, who rescues, who saves, who transforms us. The God who is mighty to save us mighty to defeat evil, the one who has made everything and rules and reigns over everything. That is the God we need. That is the God who is. Let's celebrate that God. Let's worship that God. Let's serve that God. Let's speak about that God to one another and to those in this city. Because friends, no other God is ever going to give us the life, the joy, the freedom, the forgiveness, the transformation, the peace, the hope that this God will. No one else is worthy of our worship. No one else is worthy of our praise. No one else is worthy of our trust and our loyalty and our devotion. And so let's give all of that to the holy God who redeemed his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.